Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Good afternoon. So good to see you all. Um, it's, uh, it's funny whenever we do things over kind of like bank holiday weekends, and I'm conscious that there are quite a few people away today, but um, I actually really like services like this whenever it's kind of chill, you know, and uh, there's no camera on, which is really lovely, um, because I'm constantly worried that I'm going to say something horribly, horribly wrong. But uh, so it is really nice to be here with you. And even though there are fewer of us today than normal, um, I, I just want you to feel at home amongst us. Um, what I'm going to do today, I'm not going to be like uh, whipping us into any kind of frenzy or anything like that. It's going to be fairly chill today. So um, please do relax um, over the next 20 minutes or so as I unpack the scriptures for us a little bit. Um, but I am really hopeful that you'll hear from the Lord today. Um, and that you would encounter him. Um, did I introduce myself? Did I do that? I, di- I didn't introduce myself. How rude of me. I'm Stu. Nice to meet you all if I haven't met before. Um, I'm one of the pastors here and um, it's so good to have you with us. Um, today I want to pick up from where Hannah so brilliantly left off uh, last week as we carry on in our teaching series uh, called The Rebuild. And there's one day whenever an expert in the Hebrew law tried to be super, super sneaky and he wanted to test Jesus. And he went to him and asked him, Rabbi, which of the commandments in the Torah, the Hebrew scriptures, is the greatest of the commandments? And then Jesus replied by also being very sneaky. He replied by reciting the Shema, which we read of in Deuteronomy chapter six, which goes like this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your being, and with all of your might. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And you would expect, and the people who were around Jesus and the sneaky Pharisees at this point would have expected that to be the end of the conversation. But Jesus goes on to say that there's a second commandment, which is just like the first one. And Jesus says that second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus insisted that the whole of the scriptures, everything that we read in this text, it depends on those two commands. Now, so often what we tend to do is we pull these two commands apart, right? And we have this kind of two-step version of how we work it through. So we think, let's have an intimate, personal relationship with God first, and then from that place, we'll be able to love people really naturally. But Jesus is saying something very different. He's saying something very new. He's saying something that lines up with everything that he was teaching around the kingdom. Because he said that loving God and loving other people, those two things are actually one thing. They're inseparable. They're tethered together. They're infused as one Loving God always takes the shape of loving our neighbor as Christ loved us on the cross. And loving our neighbor is the way in which we actually get to love God. Loving our neighbor is not just proof that we love God, it is actually the form that loving God takes. And so the life of following Jesus, the life of sharing in his identity and taking up his um, invitation to live in the way of the kingdom, well, really, it comes all down to love as we learn to love God and love other people really, really well. And as we continue to emerge slowly out of this incredibly disruptive year and a half that we've all faced, as we try to make sense of everything that's taking place, and as we try to find our feet on some solid rock, 
as we look to rebuild, we at Lagan Valley Vineyard really want to prioritize one thing. Now, this one thing sounds like two things, but trust me, it's one thing. And that one thing is to love God and to love other people. And in this summer teaching series, we slowly want to get behind the scenes of our own souls and our own hearts. And we want to consider how we are able to reorder and rebuild our lives in such a way that we can love God and love other people really, really well. And so Andy unpacked this teaching series a couple of weeks ago by sharing the truth um, that always schools me. I'm very thankful for Pete Cazero for this. Um, that it is impossible for us to be uh, spiritually mature if we remain emotionally immature. Last week, Hannah so brilliantly highlighted the imbalance that we so often carry whenever we're following Jesus. So often we prioritize doing for God as opposed to being with him, enjoying this intimate communal relationship with him every single day. Now, I want to pick up from where Hannah left off last week. And um, I know some of you know me quite well, and you will know that the thing that I'm probably most interested in is the question of how on earth we are able to live the Christ life in the Christ way and to do that sustainably over the long haul of our lives. And so with that today, I want to bring to light a couple of temptations that we face all of the time that kind of go in the opposite direction of that. Rather than living in the ho- over the long haul, living sustainably, faithfully with Jesus, sometimes our lives feel very frantic, very full, very busy. And we don't try to follow Jesus. In fact, we try to take him over. And so with all of that in mind, I want to open up the scriptures before I say anything else. So if you've got a Bible with you, I'd love you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. And if you've got a Bible or an app on your phone, we'd love for you to turn there with me. So Hebrews chapter 12, just three verses that I want to share with you today. Um, Hebrews 12, one to three. Come, Holy Spirit. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him... He endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and will not lose heart. This is the word of the Lord given to us so that we may know the glory of the Father, may practice the way of the Son and be filled over and over and over again by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. For the writer of Hebrews, the life of following Jesus is best described as an endurance race, not a sprint but something that resembles a bit more like a marathon. I'm avoiding eye contact with you whenever I talk about this stuff. The thing with long races is that they can't be rushed. You need to pace yourself. You need to consistently be willing to plod, putting one foot in front of the other. Now, the truth is, is that nobody on earth wakes up in the morning and just decides, hey, I'm going to run an ultra marathon today. Nobody does that. Because long races require training and practice, focus and intention. You need to have a goal in mind, something that you're working towards. And with that goal in mind, you're able to keep on going. And in Hebrews chapter 12, we read that the key factor that allows us to keep going with endurance 
persevering along Resurrection Road, living with a long obedience in the same direction, which my hero Eugene Peterson would say, it all comes down to keeping our eyes fixed on the goal of Jesus. He's our prize. He's our aim. He is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we will be able to run faithfully to the end. Now, we know this, right? We can all rhyme off Hebrews 12. We know this to be true. And yet, for many of us, or maybe for most of us, our life with Jesus doesn't feel like this steady, rhythmic, paced, sustainable, focused, enduring kind of run. Oftentimes, we just get knackered. We get weary. And sometimes we lose heart. There's this thing that goes on within us where we feel as if we need to run faster, right? And so our life with Jesus, it isn't rhythmic or sustainable or slow and deliberate. In fact, it kind of feels like a sprint and then we collapse, we pick ourselves up again, we sprint, we collapse, pick ourselves up again, sprint, collapse, you know what I'm going for. Why is that? Why so often is that the shape of our spirituality? Well, in the way of Jesus, he invites people like you and me to follow really closely behind him on the road of life. So much so that our feet get really dusty as we tread really closely behind him. But so often, we find ourselves kind of nipping ahead of Jesus, right? Leaving him in the dust of our feet. Or to put it another way, so oftentimes our eyes are not fixing Jesus because we're so self-obsessed. We buy into this subtle lie that Jesus may have pioneered our faith, but actually we need to perfect it. And we perfect it with our own effort and with our own sense of energy. Yet the Christ life lived in the Christ way, well, he invites us to live very, very differently. In the words of Zach Eswine, whose work I'm going to rely really heavily on today, and this quote's going to appear on the screen, the Christian life is an apprenticeship with Jesus, lived towards recovering our humanity, and through his spirit, helping our neighbors to do the same. What I'm trying to say is this, the more self-centered our spirituality, the less human we become, we become much more like robots, automatic beings. But Jesus, even though he invites us to lose our life, he doesn't invite us to lose our sense of humanness. So often we feel this urge to live like superhumans. We supercharge our lives trying to do it all. We over-egg it and over-complicate it. Yet from the beginning, God invited us to live a very different, whole, holy, and healthy way. So often, though, we hear the whisper of the serpent in our ear speaking this illusion that, hey, you're unlimited and the world is unlimited, so you can do whatever the heck you want. But from Genesis, we see the truth that there are three core aspects of the good and the beautiful life that we are invited to live. They're going to appear on the screen. Number one, God has given you himself to surrender to and to love. And this means that to daily orient your life towards a moment-by-moment -moment relationship with God, it brings glory to him, loving God. Number two, God has given you a handful of persons whom you're meant to love. Notice not an army. Notice not like, I don't know what, 
a, a large group of people just noticed the word handful in that sentence, right? You don't need to become somebody else or constantly look over the shoulders of those who are right in front of you. Attending to God's work among the faces, names, and stories where you are is to do already what God considers significant. Number three, God will give you a local place to inhabit. Notice the word local and a thing to do there, which means that you get to become attentive to what is there where you are. This means that to dwell knowledgeably and hospitably in the place God gives you is to glorify him. In other words, the God life, the Christ life, the spirit life, it is found in loving God and loving people as you are rooted in a local place. I want you to notice how uncomplicated that is. It's quite simple. It's very human. And this really was Jesus's way of living for himself because his daily routine went something like this. Jesus would wake up in the morning and he would just disappear. There was no, he was just nowhere to be found. He just vanished. Everybody would search for him. He was up a mountain praying. Between breakfast time to about dinner, Jesus would just seek out unknown and hurting people. He'd talk to them. He'd pray with them. He would do miracles to be able to serve them well. And he would set aside time to be able to debrief with the people that he was discipling along the way. And then between early evening and dinner, Jesus would spend time with friends. He would eat and he would laugh. He'd go to bed and he'd wake up and do it all again. Notice the rhythmic, quite uncomplicated nature of Jesus's life, a life that was centered on loving God, loving people in a particular place. Yet so often we're tempted to do something very different. Rather than living this kind of life, we can take our eyes off Jesus and Jesus's way of living and we get tempted to live a very different way. And there's three temptations that I want to share with you today. It's the temptation number one, that we try to be everywhere at one time. Temptation two, that we try to fix everything. And temptation three, that we try to know everything. Now, some of you may be clocking that I'm being a little bit sneaky here myself because for generations, the church has used three really clunky, awkward O words to describe Jesus. Omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient, which is being present everywhere, being all-powerful, and also being all-knowing, right? The truth is that I want to really drive home this afternoon is that it is only Jesus who is able to be everywhere for all people. Only he is the one that can restore and resurrect all things. And Jesus is the source of all wisdom and truth. And yet instead of fixing our eyes on Jesus, so often we look to ourselves to do the things that only Jesus himself can do. Early in his ministry, uh, Levites were sent from Jerusalem to question John the baptizer. And they came with one question, who are you? And John's response was the confession that I believe is such an important building block for us as we learn to rebuild off the back of this crazy 18 months. Who are you? They asked. John's response, I am not the Christ. I'm not the Christ. Even though we sometimes buy into the lie, I've come here today 
to remind you or maybe to tell you for the first time that you're not omnipresent. You're not omnipotent. You're not omniscient. I've come here, I think, more importantly with the good news that you do not have to be all of those things for Christ is and we get to follow after him. I come here today with good news, news of freedom, of liberation, and the invitation to learn to live freely and lightly once again. So for the next 10 minutes or so, I wanna just expose some of these subtleties because these things are quite subtle. And I want to unpick some of the temptations that we buy into. So firstly, the first temptation being everywhere for all people. Now, we can feel this temptation to be everywhere for all people all of the time, can't we? We're pulled in so many different directions, being pulled at the seams, being involved in so many things, working all the time, spreading ourselves so thin that we don't establish any deep roots. We get pulled into doing so many things and pack our lives in trying to be there for everyone at all times. Now, throughout the Gospels, Jesus is described as Jesus of Nazareth. I want you to consider that for a moment. The Holy One of God is Jesus of Nazareth. The Holy One has a hometown. He was at one place, not every place on the planet whenever he walked and talked with his disciples on earth. And through the incarnation, he limited himself to inhabiting one locality on earth at a time, rooting himself in a particular place. But we do the opposite, particularly with these things, where we feel the urge to be everywhere at once, ramming our calendars full, connecting with people all across the world, me never responding to anybody's WhatsApp messages, I'm sorry. Jesus invites us into a much better way, being present here, right now. The desire to always be moving, I think, from one thing to the next, well, maybe this is just me confessing publicly, which is always dangerous. I, I think sometimes I find myself running from one thing to the next because I'm just trying to run away from things that I can't actually deal with. Things get hard in a certain area of life, so I just find another problem that I can help solve or another situation that I can get involved in. I don't really want to deal with the depths of what's going on there, but I could just add more things to my life. And so the depth of which I'm involved in things just gets thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner the further I spread myself out. This dynamic crops up all of the time in the scriptures, particularly in the exile where the children of Israel have been taken from their homeland of Jerusalem and are held in captivity for 70 years under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. There was a crowd within that context, in context who just said, that sounded to me very lisper in there, in, that, in their context, and they said that actually, don't worry about Babylon, don't really care about this place, it's only temporary, we'll be back in no time. But the prophet Jeremiah receives a word from the Lord to do the opposite, to root themselves in a place. The Lord through Jeremiah says this, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce. Marry, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too will have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease, but seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've called you into exile. 
pray for it. Because if it prospers, you too will also prosper. Even though they did not want to be there, with everything that they were facing, the Lord called them to dig really deep roots in one place. And despite the hardship, the Lord sustained them there, helped them in the midst of obstacles that they didn't want to contend with, whether it was limits or the call to reorientate their ambitions or frustrations or grief or the emotions that were carried or whatever. They were able to walk with the Lord in that one particular place. We're invited to do the same. Do not pull ourselves all across the world or into loads of different things. We're invited to root ourselves, to be present exactly where we are. Temptation number two is the temptation to fix it all. We all face hard and difficult situations. I do, and I know that you do. And my go-to all the time is just try to fix everything. Whenever there's something that is hard or difficult, I just want to try and fix it, get it out of the way and move on. And yet the truth is, is that there's simply so many things in my life and I know in your life that we simply cannot control. And COVID has humbled us. It's been a kind of global humbling moment whenever a tiny invisible virus has caused a cataclysmic series of events. There are things in life that are simply out of our control. Things that in a moment I cannot make right. And we need to be the kind of people who center our lives on the truth that Jesus is the only one who's able to pull all the fragmented and broken pieces of the world and put them back together. And I can partner with him, filled by his spirit, absolutely. But I can't make that stuff happen in my own strength. And faced with hard, unspeakable things, we want to try to make them right and get annoyed whenever they don't work out. But as Zach Eswine would say again, it's going to appear on the screen, you were never meant to repent because you can't fix everything. But you were meant to repent because you've tried. And while we can't fix it all, there are two things that we can do. Firstly, we can do the Jesus thing where we can look at hardship and look at what people are going through and we can be moved by compassion. Compassion is made up of two words, by the way. Calm, which is mean, means together, and pati, which moves then into compassion, which is to suffer. To be moved with compassion is to co-suffer, to suffer together alongside someone. To have compassion with someone is not to try to fix their pain or alleviate what they're going through, but it's to truly enter into what they are going through, to weep with them as they weep, to grieve with them as they grieve. And as we side alongside people, sometimes even to say nothing whatsoever, but simply just to be there alongside them, as we live in that way, not trying to fix things, our lives become cruciform. Our lives become shaped into the cross of Christ as together with that person side by side, we await for resurrection. The second thing we can do is pray. Instead of mustering up the strength to try to fix everything, we can call on the name of the all-powerful one, the one who currently is sustaining the very universe by the word of his power. We can call upon the word of the, of the, uh, <laughs> of the resurrected king, Sorry, we can call upon him, lean on his power, the healer, the miracle worker, 
the one who saves and restores and resurrects all things, we can call upon him. Rather than us trying to fix it, we can call upon the true fixer. Our strength may patch things up for a while, but it is only Jesus who has the power to resurrect and restore. And I, I think I said this a couple minutes ago, but we have all been humbled by COVID. We kind of do feel as if we've got so little control, right? And we enter situations every day knowing that we've got little control. And so it's no wonder that we hurry around trying to fix it all because it's so much easier to move about, to speak words, to make plans, to hurry into action rather than just wait a little longer to see what the Lord might do or to weep alongside those who hurt. But to enter into weeping is what Jesus leads us to, praying for the kingdom to come in power and wonder that's our invitation or to put it another way waiting and seeing what the Lord will do is never a waste of time. Third thing, third temptation. It's a temptation to know it all. One of the temptations we face is believing that because we've been around the block a couple of times, because we know how to do life, we kind of feel set. Our knowledge, our understanding of things is kind of locked in. We kind of got it. I know how to handle life. And there's a danger in that, particularly for those of us who follow Jesus, that we can become what the New Testament describes being puffed up in our knowledge and our thinking, thinking that we've just got it all sorted. But the truth is, is that for all of us as disciples of Jesus, we are disciples, we're learners, we are truly apprentices. And we are to live with this like continual sense of openness to learning, to growth and to development, because we all possess only partial knowledge we see through a mirror dimly. And so we need to be able to draw upon the wisdom of Jesus, particularly through this book, drawing on this text, not for winning arguments, not for engaging in culture wars, but simply for the sake of love. Augustine says this, it's gonna appear on the screen. So anyone who thinks that he or she understood the divine scriptures or any part of them, but cannot by his or her understanding build up this love of God and neighbor has not succeeded in understanding them. This text allows us to realize that we are the beloved ones. And because of that, the love of God is available for the world. This text and our knowledge of God sends us out as ambassadors of love. We engage in these three temptations all the time. I know I do. I'm sure some of you do as well. We try to be everywhere for everyone. We try to fix it all. And we think that we know it all. And really what we're doing whenever we buy into those temptations is that we're carrying loads that only God is able to carry. But why do we do that? I think more than anything we do that because we are impatient. We want change. And we want change right now. We don't like waiting for God. So we just do it ourselves. Trust me, maybe other than Stephen Hoy in this room, we're not sprinters. We're marathon runners. We're those who put one foot in front of the other over the long distance. And that requires stamina. Stamina that comes from the Holy Spirit. Because so often we want the kingdom without the way of the king. And so we just rush on ahead. We just power on through. 
but it's in keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus that our stamina comes, where we learn to behold God and don't just back ourselves all of the time. Jesus invites us to be patient, to play the long game, to pace ourselves, to move slowly and to never, ever stop. And as we learn to live in this kind of way, we will experience the recovery of our humanity. We will follow behind Jesus rather than nipping and racing on ahead. I come with some really good news this afternoon. You don't need to be everywhere for all people all the time. You can't fix it all. And it's impossible to know it all. You cannot carry the load of Jesus' job, but you can carry his yoke, and his yoke is easy, and the burden of it is pretty light. Instead of being everywhere for everyone, we are invited to root ourselves in a place, not running away from hardships, but learning to build houses, plant gardens, and settle down. Instead of fixing it all, we can take up the cruciform life, entering into people's pain, not to try to fix it, but simply just to be present, to love as a friend. And as we do that, we're able to cultivate a life that is centered on prayerfulness, where together in solidarity, we await the kingdom to come in its miraculous power. And thirdly, we don't need to know it all. We don't need to pretend that we have to know it all. We can live open-handedly, recognizing that the Lord is still teaching us and we have so much to learn. Whenever we learn to live in this way, grace floods into our very bodies and it sets us free. It sets us free from trying to be a God. It sets us free from trying to fix people and invites us to be the kind of people who truly love God and truly love other people. Do you guys want to come up? We're going to take a moment as we close our time together by worshipping. And so can I invite you, if you're able, to stand with me as we come to worship together. But as the guys get set up, and before they play a note, in the silence and the stillness of this moment, can I just invite you just to close your eyes if you want to, just to focus really your attention on God. And if, as I've been speaking, some of this has been resonating with you, and if you've been trying to be everywhere for all, you've been trying to fix it all, you've been trying to know it all, and if you're tired from it, feeling a bit knackered from all of the sprinting, if you're a little bit weary, if you feel as if you've lost your heart, I want to invite you, just where you are by yourself, just to take a moment to confess the words of John the baptizer. If that's you, behind your mask, you can just whisper aloud, I am not the Christ. Take a moment in the stillness to confess.
And for those of us who are longing to live the Christ life in the Christ way, the way of loving God and loving other people in a place over the long haul, if that's you, I'd love to pray for you right now before we worship. Lord Jesus, we recognize that you are Lord of everything. You're the creator of the universe and you're the boss of our lives. And Lord, I'm so grateful that I do not need to carry the load that only you can carry. I'm so grateful that you are all powerful and that I'm not. I'm so grateful that you are everywhere in the universe and I am not. I'm so grateful that you know everything and I don't need to. And in this moment, right now, I also want to confess that I am so grateful that despite you being all of those things, you invite me to come follow me. And so right now, I simply want to do that. I want to follow you. I want to follow you where you lead. I want to follow you over the long haul of my life. I want to follow you with a long obedience in the same direction, keeping on going. So Lord, help me to do that. Help me to not be so focused on myself and more than anything, help me to behold you, to keep my eyes fixed on you and to be open to you being at the very center of my life. Holy Spirit, fill me with the courage to be able to live in that way, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna take a moment and we're gonna worship. And as we worship, we're gonna take a few moments to confess that Jesus is the center of our lives. So let's worship the Lord.